All right, so we're uh, diving back into um, the series that we've been in. The series that, we've, that we're in right now is called Hope Wars. And um, the, again, the premise that, that this is the thing I've had in my mind since maybe June. I knew this was going to be kind of the first series that we did. And the idea that I've had is, is this, that the, the people that have the most hope will have the most influence in this world. And the reason why, and, and the people with the most influence, their message will actually prevail. And the reason for that is that the world is desperate for hope. There is a war for hope in our culture and a, a war for hope in our world. And so hopeful people are attractive. Hopeful people are attractive to others because the world needs hope. They're desperate for hope. And so um, that's why our, that, that message will prevail. And so we've been talking about that. And today's message um, is called Persevering into Hope. So um, if you have a Bible, um, put a find Romans 5. We're going to get there in just a couple minutes. Um, but before we do that, um, I, I wasn't able to talk about this last week, but I thought it was a very significant event um, with Billy Graham uh, passing away, and we, we talked about that just for a minute. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to tie in the life and the legacy of, of Billy Graham to this persevering into hope message. And so um, Billy Graham, he was born in 1918, and he passed away uh, here in 2018. Almost, he was 99 years old, and if he would have lived a little longer, he would have been 100 years old. So very long, full life, obviously a very fruitful Christian. If you don't know about Billy Graham, like you need to know. Um, but I have a video I want to play real quick, just kind of highlighting his, his life very quickly. So go ahead and go ahead and roll that if you would, guys. Religion without a personal encounter with Jesus Christ will not save the soul and it will not bring the peace that your soul longs for. The Reverend Billy Graham may have been history's most successful Christian, at least in obeying the commandment of Jesus to carry the gospel to every corner of the world. Celebrated for a resounding voice that filled canvas revival tents, then massive stadiums and outdoor arenas, Graham crisscrossed the nation and circled the globe, delivering a message of God's love and the need for repentance. He preached to 215 million souls in 185 countries over a career of more than 50 years. He reached millions more with radio, television, newspaper, video, movie, and internet. I despise all this attention on me. I wish we could publicize the meetings in some way in which my name were not used. I'm not trying to bring people to myself, nor am I trying to interest people in me. But I know that God has sent me out as a warrior on the five continents to preach the gospel, and I must continue until he gives the signal that I'm to stop. The nation's informal chaplain, he prayed with every president from Harry Truman to Barack Obama, and he offered invocations at nine presidential inaugurations. But one-on-one, whether speaking to a president or poor man, Billy Graham came across as a kind-hearted man with a soft southern drawl. But I feel terribly small and humbled by it all, and I feel I don't deserve. I've often said that the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is to ask, Why me, Lord? Why did you choose a farm boy from North Carolina to preach to so many people? Graham believed his ministry would not end even with his death. And my whole life came before me. And I didn't say to the Lord, I'm a preacher. I've preached to many people. I said, oh Lord, I'm a sinner. I still need your forgiveness. It's powerful, isn't it? Such a, such a humble uh, man. And 
um, has probably reached more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ than anyone um, in the world. When I, when I first started to um, uh, learn how to do altar calls, I would watch videos of Billy Graham and vi- uh, videos of other people, and then I would practice altar calls as I'd be driving out to the church. But I, uh, you mentioned this last week, Rick, but like you had people raise their hands. How many, how many people were directly saved like in a Billy Graham crusade or through his ministry? Yeah, a, f- a few of you. And, and obviously, Billy Graham has been retired for a few years, but I wonder how many second and third generation like, I wonder how many of us are here right now or wouldn't be here because of that man's ministry. There's really no way of fully measuring that, but um, as a result of that man's ministry and what he did and going out and preaching the gospel, and I just love this idea of God using the simple, simple farm boy from North Carolina, not credentialed, not special, and God just um, uses him, and it gives me hope. Right, <laughs> I think that probably gives you hope too. You just use the simple, the foolish things of the world to, to confound the wise and, and, and to preach the gospel. And so Billy Graham um, is part of the, the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 talks about. Go ahead and put that up if you would, guys. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So it's talking about the previous chapter there. Um, that all these people that went before us and did amazing exploits for God, they're, they've moved on, they've gone to heaven. But it's, it's like the image here is like they're cheering us on, like they're in heaven saying, go, keep going, keep, keep living for God, keep preaching the gospel. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Billy Graham just ran a 99-year race, and he's completed that race, and he's in heaven now. And I just want to say today that there is a race. Let us, it says here, um, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to say that there is a race marked out for you specifically. And um, you're not called to um, run Kurt Chamberlain's race. You're not called to run Billy Graham's race. You're called to run your race, the race that God has marked out specifically for you. You're not accountable to run my race. You're not accountable to run Billy's race. You're accountable to do what God's um, put before you. And not all of us will be like Billy Graham. I mean, that's high, high caliber. And he, of course, we admire him, but we all have a specific calling and a thing that God has called us to do. And we can do that. Like if he's called you to do it, he will will provide the way for us to do that. So just be assured. But I just want to talk today about running our race with perseverance. You have a race and you need to run it with perseverance in order for you to get where God um, and accomplish what God wants for you. So we're going to talk about perseverance and why it's so important to have perseverance in our race. And so if you're uh, in Romans, uh, Romans 5, we're going to read 1 through 5 and we'll we'll hang out here for a little bit. Um, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. All right, so that's why I'm using this verse because the, the end result here where we're trying to get is hope. So first of all, I just want to say, we're going to hone in here on verse 3, but I just want to say it's, when it started chapter 5, it says, therefore, it's talking about the previous chapter. The whole previous chapter is about faith righteousness. 
And I just want to say on the onset here, in fact, this, this, this scripture is bookended by faith righteousness. It's really important that we realize before we dive into persevering through trials and, and tribulations and troubles, that we realize that we have faith righteousness, that we're in right relationship with God. Um, a couple weeks ago, I preached about um, heaven's anchor, um, right, that goes into heaven. And I brought this, brought this anchor with me. And Hebrews chapter 6 talks about an anchor that we have in heaven. It's Jesus, right? And it anchors our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. So when, we have, when we're going through life and we have a, a family situation or we have, um, we have um, a bad report from the doctor or we have a, a, a financial or family situation, something, that, we all have those things, right? Come on. That like pull, wants to pull our mind, will, and emotions off. But we have this anchor in heaven, Jesus, that holds us firm and secure. And so this is, we are rooted in heaven because of righteousness, right? Righteousness is our right standing, our right relationship with Jesus. And something I had mentioned a couple weeks ago as well is that the Bible doesn't talk about growing. It doesn't talk about growing in righteousness. It talks about growing in faith. It talks about growing in love. It talks about growing in um, grace. It talks about growing in a lot of things. But the Bible doesn't talk about growing in righteousness because righteousness is imputed to us. It's a gift that's given to us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. So the righteousness that you have is actually the righteousness of Jesus. He gives you his righteousness. Because Jesus is in heaven in right relationship with the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So if you imagine your, your proximity, your right standing with God, picture Jesus. He's in heaven in right relationship with God. That's your legal position with God. That's what he gave us. Come on, that's good news, guys. That's really good right now. By the way, Hans, my friend up here, he wrote a book called God Tone. Talks a ton about faith, righteousness in that book. It's a, it's a really good book. So I encourage you to get that. But um, so the, the, the reason why I want to say that before we get into um, verse three a lot is because the, the world has a way of persevering, but we persevere anchored to Jesus who is in heaven, Right? And so I'm not trying to preach a, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps gospel here. We're, trying to, we're preaching sonship. And so um, it's, we're not in a performance gospel. We're in sonship, right? And so we have, we have to get that correct lens. And it's through, that, through sonship that we want to view verse 3. And so, especially when people are going through a trial, many times the first thing they ask is, like, oh, God, why me? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? But listen, if you realize... This, this scripture here is bookended by faith righteousness. We're in right relationship with him. It's not because he's punishing us. It's not because whatever. It's because, like, we live in a world, you know? And sometimes bad things happen, and entropy is just a fact. Things decay. That's just a fact of life. And we do have an enemy of our soul. Um, so there, there's that, too. Um, now, so troubles are inevitable. And I just, so I just want to say, like, not all trials are from God. But God can use all trials, right? Um, something that the enemy sent your way, you can walk through it with God and still learn something. It doesn't mean that God sent you that, sent that thing to you. I'll give you an example of this. I don't personally think that God inflicts his children with sickness to teach them a lesson. I think sickness is demonic. It's a tactic of the enemy, and we have full right to oppose it. We have full right to come against that. And that's, that's my personal thing. Um, I think it's actually backed up in theology. We'll probably talk more about that in later messages. But... Um, <clears throat> but having said all that, God also doesn't have us here to live like comfortable lives. Like he wants you to be happy. He wants to bless you, but he wants you to walk with him more, love him more, and be conformed to be more like Jesus. So it's not necessarily just to be comfortable all our lives. Um, 
but he's a, he's a good papa. He, like, he loves us. Like, he wants to lead us. So we're going to look through this verse through that lens. Does that make sense? I want to say that before we get into that so you're not like, when the trial or trouble comes your way, you're not like in a quandary of who you are and why is God mad at me? Does that make sense? Okay, so Romans 5.3, let's look at this. Not only so, but we glory in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So the question here is, how do we get from suffering to hope, all right? And so I want to say this, suffering in and of itself doesn't produce hope in you, right? Uh, Going through a trial in and of itself does not produce hope in you. Rather, persevering through a trial with character is what will produce hope in you. And we want to have that kind of hope. And so I'm going to be a little bit of a, a nerd here. And we're going to look at each of these words. So suffering, first of all, it just simply means pressure, the, the pressures of life, um, affliction, anguish, burden, persecution, trouble. Um, anyone ever been there? Anyone there now? I don't know. <laughs> we all have those things happen to us. And actually, the root word to, to that Greek word, it means like to crowd, literally or figuratively. So if you could imagine someone standing and there's like people all around them or they're just crowded. So sometimes, isn't that like life? Sometimes we're just crowded by circumstances and troubles are all around us and like that's the feeling that we have. So there's, we, we can suffer, we can go through those trials and tribulations in a way that produces hope. Suffering, the word, okay, so suffering is a trial, pressure, being crowded. The word persevere means cheerful. Um, can you actually leave that scripture up, 5-3? Um, we'll just look at it. The word um, persevere means cheerful endurance. So it's not just going through, it's like cheerful endurance. God can give you cheerful endurance going through a trial. And character means experience, tested and approved. It's like, um, it's like when the, the building inspector comes to your house, right? And he has to check the foundation before you can build up anymore, right? And if the foundation's messed up, he'll, he'll say, no, we've got to tear that out and repour that foundation. So, so, um, so characters that test the experience. So we go from, from persevering to character. And of course, hope is the confident expectation of good. So have you guys ever wrote, um, uh, read the, the PKC version of the Bible? That's the uh, Pastor Kurt Chamberlain version. And so based upon looking at these Greek words, I, I wrote <laughs> my own rendition of Romans 5.3. This is, this is what I think um, it's saying. Cheerfully enduring the pressures of life gives you the tested experience you need to see that God will bring you through to a good outcome. Amen? I'm going to say that again. Cheerfully enduring the pressures of life gives you the tested experience you need to see that God will bring you through to a good outcome. Amen. So I want to give you, I want to give you four um, keys to persevering into hope. So again, in and of itself, going through trial doesn't equal hope, but persevering through trials equals hope that expectation of a good outcome. Okay, so number one is um, celebrate small victories and milestones. If you're going through a trial, celebrate the small victories and milestones. Milestones, yes. Um, an example of this is like, if you're, if you're trying to quit smoking, like they say people, a lot people, it's like anywhere from five to 30 times that people actually quit and relapse before they quit for good. And I just wanna say like, not every failure is, not every relapse is a total failure when it comes to that. Like you have to, keep getting that muscle memory and trying over and over. And so you have to have a, a different way of measuring success. You gotta celebrate those uh, small victories. Maybe your goal is to lose like 50 pounds. Well, are you gonna like celebrate when you lose 50 or like maybe have a plan to lose like five and the 10 pounds and to celebrate those milestones as, as you, um, small um, victories and milestones. Now, 
don't celebrate, if you're trying to lose weight, don't celebrate with cheesecake. That is, <laughs> that is gonna be counterproductive. But go down to your local bakery and have a smellibration, all right? <laughs> I lost five pounds, I'm gonna go have a smellibration. No carb, it's a no carb option. All right. If, <laughs> Oh, sorry, that was terrible. I was telling Emily about my message this week. I don't know how that even came up, but I'm like, I'm putting that in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're going through a difficult relationship, if you're going through a divorce, here's a, here's a milestone. Stay in community. Stay connected with church. Have some self-care. Join a gym or start a hobby. Like, find those like, little milestones along the way to keep you encouraged as you're going through a trial. Okay, that's number one. Number two, realize that perseverance is transferable from one trial to the next. The trial you're going through may not seem like it has any purpose at all, like what is the purpose? I don't see any purpose in this. But just know that perseverance is transferable to any other situation that you're going through. I'll give you an example of this. We live in a pretty, honestly, we live in a pretty easy society. I was raised in a pretty easy society. You older, uh, people who are much older than me, you know that like society's gotten easier and easier, so you were raised in a harder world than I was, and it's gotten easier and easier. And so kids, um, these days, they're raised in a pretty easy, like we're not fighting for our lives every day to live, and, and we're not like poor. And so I think we need to create artificial hardships, artificial troubles for our kids in order to work into them perseverance. Does that make sense? And so I think every teenager needs two things. I, need every, I think every teenager needs a low-paying, difficult job. And by the way, this is, this is how you remain happy in the next job. I remember like um, when I, we were pastoring um, for nine years, young adults, nine years, there were days where I was like, I want to quit. And then I thought, well, it sure beats my last job, though. So I'll just, I'll just tough this out. So... <laughs> One thing about like not good jobs is they really set you up to like enjoy the next job a little bit more. So a low paying, difficult job, I think every teenager needs that. I think every teenager also needs a sport. They need to learn how to win. They need to learn how to lose, learn lose gracefully, be on a team, be competitive but fair, and also push themselves, right? But hear me, make no mistake. If you are rescuing your kids from every trial and tribulation and trouble, you are doing them no favors by rescuing them from every trial. Let them go, let them in, go through some trials and some tribulations. I'll give you a personal example in my life. I'm going to grab this here. This was my mentor and nemesis growing up. The shovel has taught me so much. Um, we lived on, when I was in high school, we lived on two and a half acres, and we didn't grow anything significant. We didn't have any animals. It's not like we needed to live off of the land or anything like that. But for some reason, I always had a shovel in my hand. My dad was always like, we gotta, we gotta move rock, we gotta move dirt, we gotta move something. We're always moving something. <laughs> and um, I'm like, Dad, why are we moving? Why are we always shoveling? Why are we always moving these dirt and these rocks, and I don't want to do this, and my dad's like, I don't care. I don't care. Get out there. Get your shovel. You're going to get to work, and, and so then he would say things like this. He'd be digging or raking, and he'd be like, why, you know, why are we doing this? He's like, because we're Chamberlains, and we work hard, and we're going to, when we outwork everyone, and I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> and, but I'm like, as this happens, I'm, I'm actually learning perseverance. Maybe you're seeing something here today that I learned from a shovel 
years ago, you know. And so this, the perseverance that I learned here has, I think, carried over and to, to lots of areas of my life. So like the first real job that I had, I was bagging groceries for eight hours and people would be like, my feet hurt. I'm like, are you kidding me? We are in an air conditioned room and we're not out in the hot sun. This beats shoveling rocks for eight hours. Like this was a blessing. So this prepared me to have a job and not like we were in AC, this is great. People would be like, you have really calloused hands. Are you a gymnast? Are you a gymnast? Like, no, I have a dad. (laughs) And my dad likes shoveling and ibuprofen and back surgeries, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, this is my nemesis and mentor, the shovel. If I won a Grammy, I would have to bring the shovel up. I'd like to thank, I'd like to thank my family, the shovel. Um, But as an adult, I would go, like, people ask, hey, can you help can you help us move some rocks? I'm like, sure, let's go knock it out. And I'd go over there, and they'd have their preteen or teenage son, and he'd be like out there helping. He's like, Dad, I'm tired. He's like, sure, son, go inside. I'm like, what, what are you doing? He's got to get him out here. And he's in there watching cartoons, drinking a Capri Sun, and we're out there shoveling. I'm like, do you want him to give up on his marriage? Do you want him to quit at life? Like, he's going to drop out. Get him out here, you know? <laughs> get him out here. So, so with my kids, I'm like, they don't quit. Like, I'll be like, there's a pile of rocks. And listen, they don't help. Like, honestly, they don't move much because they're not, you know, I have little girls. But I'm like, we're going to move this pile of rocks. And they'll move a little bit. But I'm like, we're going we're gonna to work until this thing's done. And then afterwards, there'll be a reward. We'll go get ice cream or something like that. Um, because I want them to have the satisfaction of a completed task. I want them to have satisfaction of, like, I did something. I accomplished something. Because it builds character in them, Right? And people with character carry within them more hope. And so, like, when we go, we go hiking, my kids don't quit when we hike. Like, and I'm aware of their, their like, ability. I don't, like, send them up the hardest 14ers in the world. Like, I have a 10 and a 7-year-old. But my kids don't quit, and we'll be going up a trail, and, like, we'll see a kid there, and, like, Billy wants to turn around. He's tired. And I'm thinking, like, hey, he's going to drop out, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Billy... Come on, Billy, get to because Billy needs the satisfaction. And then Evie, my daughter, she's like, well, he gets to turn around. And I'm like, yeah, but we're Chamberlains and we don't give up. <laughs> and then I'm like, I sound just like my dad. <laughs> we don't give up. So um, I have a video. We did, uh, we said this, um, we, we hiked 14 14ers in 14 days to raise money for this church. And this is a video uh, that Emily, is a Facebook Live video that Emily did, and I'm going to let you guys play that if you have it. Hey guys, what's up? So, you have to be gritty, and you can't quitty if you want to see all the pretty. (laughs) Okay? Let's be overcomers and do hard stuff. We can do all this in the physical, think what you can do with the blood of Jesus, and... um, the Holy Spirit spiritually. So being an overcomer and uh, thank you guys so much. Love you. <laughs> so you got to be gritty and you can't quit if you want to see all the pretty. But grit, grit is transferable. It transfers to jobs, your marriage, fitness. If you have a colicky baby, that is a trial right there. I've talked to some moms with colicky babies. That is a trial right there. But like grit will transfer there. If you're in a difficult relationship or you have a difficult boss, like 
that that's uh, I per- I persevered through some bosses because of that thing right there, the shovel. So okay, so um, trials, tribulations, um, character perseverance is transferable. Okay, that's number two. Number three, um, always have something when you're going through a trial. Always have something to look forward to. Having something on the calendar, something to look forward to. And and actually, it was Matt that brought this to my attention. Um, about vacations. And so there's a study recently on how vacations like affect your happiness. And the study was like, people are most happy right before a vacation, not necessarily on the vacation. So the study published in the journal showed that the largest boost in happiness comes from the simple act of planning a vacation. And so it was actually the anticipation of giving people something to look forward to. And they said it could actually boost happiness for up to eight weeks. And people's when they come back to work, their they, their happiness baseline drops off pretty quick. And they said there's there's really no additional boost in happiness if you do like a two week vacation instead of a one week vacation. So they said actually, if you have two weeks of vacation, it's better to split them up and have two things to look forward to instead of one big thing to look forward to. So, but it's that anticip- we need kind of like you can work hard and okay, I know there's a break coming somewhere because somewhere down the road, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a break. So have some, put things on the calendar to look forward to, little breaks. And if, if you don't have much money, we were there for a long time, like a date night is, is awesome. Or just planning to have friends over, like put it out on the calendar, something to look forward to. My, my wife and I, when we um, first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. And we would, we would put the kids to bed because we couldn't afford a babysitter. And then we would, we would get a movie and get some sushi and eat sushi and watch a movie. Like that was a, that was a really like cheap uh, date night um, and something to look forward to for us. So it was good. Um, but get rewards on the calendar. Like if you're training for a race, how many know like it's easy to train for a race when the race is over? It's like, I have no motivation anymore. And the best thing to do is like sign up for another race that's three months, six months down the road. It, it gives you something else to look forward to. So that's number three. Number four is important. Um, you are not defined by the trial that you're going through. Many times people bind their identity to the trial they've gone through or the thing they're going through or the thing that they were happened to them. I'm this, I'm that. Um, and it's, it's really important not to bind your identity to the trial that you're going through. Look out for the way you, look out for agreement in your mind. When you make an agreement or a, a um, these inner vows that sometimes people make, look out for phrases like this, I will always or I will never. Like, for example, I will always be in debt. I will never be happy. I can't get promoted because I'll always be stuck in this job. I have a learning disability, so I'll never be able to get the, the degree I want. I have bad credit, so I'll never own a house. I'll always be sick because I deserve, I deserve this and I don't deserve healing. I'll never be good enough. I'll always struggle with depression. I'll always be addicted. Like, look out for those agreements that we make in our minds. Um, you are not you're the, the trial you're going through. That is not your identity. Um, a few years ago, I went, on a, I went on a missions trip to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. It's right across the border from Laredo, Texas. Um, Victoria Christian, Christian Harvesters is the ministry there. How many have ever been to VCH? Yeah, a few of you. It's a, good, it's a great ministry. They get so many people. They've, they've gotten a million people saved, like in their ministry, over I don't know how many years. Um, probably been doing it 20, 30 years. Um, they've, gotten, they've gotten a million uh, people saved. It's an incredible ministry. So I go down there, and um, we stayed on the state side, and we crossed the border every day because there's a Bible college they have there, and they train uh, students for ministry. And um, I'm there with Kavika. You guys know Kavika Cornelius? Yeah, great, great friend of mine. 
So they're like, Kavika, let's have you speak in the Bible college. Kurt, do you want to go? There's a church right by here. Will you go like do the service? So we're like, cool. So we kind of divide and conquer. I go over to do this church service. So it's not people who are in the Bible college. It's people like from the community coming in. So I preach this message. I don't even know what I talked about. And afterwards, we, uh, we want to do ministry. So we're like, if you need prayer for anything, come up front. And one of, the, one of the gals that comes up, she comes up, and I have a translator with me. And um, I notice she has a bandage on her hand, and, like, I don't see two fingers. I just see these three. I'm like, I don't know if they're folded down or what's going on. <clears throat> and she said, through my translator, he's like, he's like, oh, oh, oh. You know, I'm like, oh, gosh, what is, what is she saying to him? She says, um, a couple months ago, the cartels came to her house and shot up her house, and she took a bullet in the hand, lost the two fingers, and they took her son, and he hasn't, hasn't seen her son for a couple months. And I'm like, in that moment, you know that, like, those movies where they're like, you know, where everything goes in weird focus? Like, I just kind of realized, like, oh, this is actually, actually kind of dangerous to be on here, <laughs> you know? And so I'm in front of this lady who has endured a crisis. Like, she, she, her son's probably dead, hasn't seen him for a couple months. The cartels took a, her teenage son. And she's lost two fingers, shot up her house. And I'm like, what do I pray? What do I pray for this lady? So I do what I do a lot. And I'm like, God, you got to give me something for her, you know? So I'm praying and in, my, in my heart, I'm like, God, what do you want me to say to her? And uh, how many want to know what the Lord said? <laughs> um, this, is what I, this is what I heard in my heart. This is what I felt the Lord say in my heart. I felt like the Lord said, tell her she's not a victim. And I'm like, but she's a victim. <laughs> <laughs> And the Lord's like, tell her she's not a victim. I'm like, God, she's a victim. She was victimized, like, big time. Tell her she's not a victim. I'm like, God, if anyone is a victim, she's a victim, you know? And, and, the, and I felt the Lord say, tell her she's victorious. And I was like, all right, so I'll do this. I'm like, I told the translator, you tell her you're not a victim. You are not a victim of this circumstance. You are victorious. This situation does not define you. This is not who you are. Because her body language is very, very... Um, very downcast. And honestly, I was like, you know, I, I don't want to be cold to her. I like wanted to love her. And we, we did. We, we, and by the way, this isn't copy and paste. Like if you ever get in a situation, oh, Kurt said to tell him they're not a victim. That's not like copy and paste. That's, you need to hear the, the voice of the Holy Spirit for every situation that you're in. I felt like in that situation, that's what she needed to hear. She knows she's not a victim. She's victorious. She has Jesus with her. And I don't, know, I don't know the end of that story, but I know that she was not supposed to bind that to her identity. She was not supposed to bind that situation that she was going through to her forever. And so I don't know today, like, what you've gone through, what's happened to you, what you did or should, what you did that you shouldn't have done or what was done to you that shouldn't have been done to you. Like, you can't bind that to your identity. That is not who you are. You are who God says you are. And if you're a Christian, you're a son or you're a daughter in Jesus. Amen? That's who you are. And you have to keep going back to that. And I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that woman was able to stand up and get into, be an advocate for her city and stand against corruption and the cartels. I don't know. But I know that, I've, I know that the Lord didn't want her to bind that to her identity. And so I just want to declare over you, you're not a victim. You're victorious as well. And so I'm going to kind of wrap up here. Let's go ahead and put uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 up again. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You have a race marked out for you. 
Here's the key. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Father, we look to you today. Jesus, we look to you. God, I just declare over everyone here, God, we are not victims of our decisions or decisions that were made about us that we didn't have any help over, Lord God. God, we just break agreement right now with those I will always or I will never um, um, statements. We just break agreement with those right now. And God, we thank you that you, um, we are victorious. We are victorious in Christ Jesus, and we can look to you and not look to our circumstances, Lord God. And so, God, I just ask that you would show everyone here today, God, who they are in you. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You want to do communion? Yeah. What's that? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> altar call. Yeah, I should do an altar call. Thank you. That's, good. That's a good point. All right, before we do communion, we're going to take communion. And by the way, we're going a little long, and I apologize for that. Um, if you're here and you've never, you haven't begun this race that I talked about, this race that we are to run with perseverance. You've never begun a personal relationship with Jesus. You can begin your race today. God has a specific race marked out for you. And so if you're here and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's very simple. It's, you don't come to him by your good deeds. You don't come clean yourself up to be good enough for God so that he can forgive you. You come as you are. You come with your, your past. You come with all of your messed up stuff and you say, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need grace. I need your forgiveness. He will come in. He will set you free. He will set up camp in your heart and will never leave you and forsake you. That's a pretty good deal. And so um, if that makes sense to you and you're here and you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, you want to receive the gift of salvation. It's a gift that no one can earn or deserve. It's the gift of a right relationship with God. Jesus provided it all. All you have to do is say yes to it. If that makes sense to you and you're here, would you do something bold and just just right where I say, yep, that's me today. I'm going to stretch my hand up right where I'm at. I'm saying, yes, that's me. I don't need to bring up front, but I just want to say, how many here would say, that's me? I'm going to, yeah, praise God. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. How many more would say, that's me? Looking all around. Awesome. Praise God. You guys can put those hands down. Let's, let's give them a hand, you guys. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> so good. Listen, I'm going to pray a prayer. I just, those of you who are giving your life to Christ, those of you who are rededicating your life to Christ, pray this prayer after me. Mean it with all of your heart. And um, it's not any eloquence of what I'm going to say. It's in the cry of the heart that, that God has for you. So just everyone repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the Son of God. I thank you that you came to this world and died on the cross for me. You paid the penalty for my sin. Right now, I place my faith and trust in you. I give you my past, my present, and my future. Be my Lord, be my God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.